okay, so you feel the pressure of having to put content out there. Otherwise, you won't exist. Um, nobody's going to see you. Google will forget about you. But the truth is generic content is not what's going to connect with people. What's going to connect with people is your real authentic self. And, you know, marketers like the word authentic, but that's what we mean. So, you know, when Gary's just following the trail because he's having fun and he's, well, he's excited about politics and he has some something to say about it. <laughs> and he writes, you know, these volatile columns and uh and they get picked up immediately like like same day top of search results i mean really picked up but he's not doing it for that purpose he's doing it because he was excited about something and i think that's what lawyers need to find again they need to find that playful excited element in their marketing that invites them to be their real selves because that's what people want to connect with. The, the, the reason I think that you, you were excited possibly about doing a podcast on this topic is that there is a certain marriage between marketing and law that can emerge. When, when we use words like marketing and KPIs, it kind of takes some of the magic out of it. But at root, what both of our professions really have in common is communications. This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Marketing and management consultant meets small law firm senior lawyer. Is it a match made in heaven? No, actually, well, I think it's a match made in... Where did you two meet, Sandra and Gary? <laughs> well... <laughs> Your opening sounded like a trailer for a romance comedy. <laughs> right, huh? As it happens, we, we can oblige because we have a, a great origin story. It all started one early evening. Um, I was parked in front of my friend's building waiting to pick him up. And she's laughing because she, she has no idea. She had no idea I was even going to think of telling this story. But there I am sitting in my car waiting for my friend Dave and suddenly this woman opens the door of my car and jumps in and says I guess you're my blind date <laughs> and I said well no but I can be if you like and a look of terror came over her face as she jumped out of the car are you kidding a couple of years later when we actually went on a real date we found out that both of us had this story in our background of, of an apartment building on Shelbourne Avenue in Toronto where she had jumped into some guy's car and some woman had jumped into my car looking for a blind date and we just celebrated our 22nd anniversary last week. Oh, that is so great. 22nd anniversary of the first real date. <laughs> I love that. Well, that is a very good start for this podcast. Thank you very much. So today I am with Sandra Beckhor and Gary Wise. And so I would like to thank you very much for joining us today on The Every Lawyer. I'm your host, Julia. And today we will talk about marketing and social media with Sandra and Gary, our very nice couple that we have today. It's the first to have a couple in the podcast. So I'm very excited, actually, to have you here. Well, great. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. So, uh, Sandra, you reached out to us actually about a podcast on marketing for small to mid-sized law firms and individual attorneys on The Every Lawyer. Gary Wise, uh, you are supposed to be a scary Toronto litigation lawyer. 
<laughs> Though you don't sound like that at all. <laughs> the impression you give on the internet is exactly the opposite of a scary Toronto lawyer, as we said. I've been through your website and uh, your blog, and this is definitely awesome. This is very, uh, I mean, you can find very useful, usable information on it. I feel like it's so resourceful. Someone can just go on your website and then the person will be just better informed on their own. They don't even need to reach out to you. And there's even a phone number. And is it, is it, is it your personal phone number or is it like your professional one? Oh, it's a firm number. <laughs> okay. It's a firm number. As a lawyer, you know, we have all those ethic to be careful of confidentiality. Uh, also, uh, how do you say it in English? To make sure that, that there's no uh, conflict of interest. That's it. So do you feel sometimes that you have to be more careful when you're out there on the internet? If you review an article or you talk about politics or you talk about a case or uh, so, do you have those things in mind? And did you have any issue with that since you have your website? Um, I have never written an article or a tweet about any case that I've actually participated in, um, nor would I, um, for all the reasons you just outlined. Um, my, my approach has been more of a legal news and updates sort of hub, um, which is what we do on Twitter now. It's what I always did on my blog, um, particularly when that was my primary focus. But never personal, never. And, and there are lawyers out there who do go maybe dangerously close in this area, but everything from talking about their cases to comments about opposing counsel and comments about judges um, that probably would be best left unsaid in a public way. So yeah, there are people doing that, but the, I, I'm, I'm old school. Like I say, re remember that I come from that background where lawyers just didn't advertise, we didn't market, we didn't do anything. So I've always proceeded with caution and I'm very comfortable that that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, I think you're old school or just good practice, actually. You're having the best practice of how to use your social media. I'm not sure those are different concepts. <laughs> right, I agree. Okay, okay. Well, that's very interesting because you started your law firm in 1986. So prior to that, you didn't have any website. So did you see like a major difference uh, once you put it, uh, once you started to have a website, for instance, with your clients, did you start to have more clients? or a diversity of clients that you didn't have before? Well, it, it had a, a huge impact in so many different ways. Um, the Yes, the clients started finding us, but what was more interesting to me, um, especially when I started my blog, uh, which again was started as kind of a, a project that I was doing for personal reasons without any thought that it was going to have any reach But what, what started happening is I would go to court and, you know, while we were outside in the, the waiting areas waiting for our cases to be called, um, my fellow lawyers would walk up to me and say, hey, Gary, I read your blog yesterday. And suddenly um, I was, there, there was profile emerging, which was just like another one of those fortuitous accidents that nobody could have contemplated at the beginning because we weren't thinking about that, you know, so profile um, began to emerge, the law society started calling, um, and, and the CBA and, you know, and, and, and other people who were doing, um, doing run practice um, programming um, and CPDs, and I started to be invited to do a few of those, 
And in the meanwhile, yes, the, the, the practice really grew um, as a result of it. But, uh, unlike, I think, the way you need to approach it today, um, where you probably do need to have, as you described, a real actionable plan. Back then, we were just winging it. And we were doing it for fun. And we, we were doing it not not anticipating or with any goal, not, not anticipate, anticipating any results or with any specific goals in mind. It was just something that was evolving in real time. And as one of the early adopters, it was just, it was, it was just a real fun, great experience that wound up doing excellent things for the firm professionally as well. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like today, because like 20 years later, I feel like more people are on the internet, more people have blogs. Twitter also is a thing. I saw that you had a, a Twitter account and you have like more than 2000 followers. Um, so people are way more out there. Do you feel like today there are some downsides that you haven't seen before that you didn't expect uh, from um, having a website and a blog? Well, you know, I think different platforms um, are more, more potent Um, in one year as opposed to the next or the previous year. It's always changing in terms of the, you know, what, what's actually happening online and what, what's, what's doing well for people generally. So th th that's one piece of it. But I, I think the need to adapt and build and keep refreshing is more important today than it's ever been, um, not just because of Um, the number of other people whose eyeballs you're, you're competing with or for or with other firms, um, but also because the technology keeps changing. And as the technology changes, um, the requirements change. And, and so that, that's, I, I just think the short answer to, to a very great question is you've got to just keep evolving. You've got to keep going with the flow and expect change. That is why I also would like to uh, jump to you, Sandra, here, because I saw you were listening. You were laughing a little bit as well while Gary was talking. And would you say, actually, that social media and marketing are a real match in heaven? Because I feel like we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, even TikToks for that matter. Uh, am I missing anything? Well, I think for the purpose of lawyers, that's a good list. <laughs> There are others, you know, and I mean, some lawyers who target the building sector may want some of the social media sites that are a bit more visual, like Pinterest. And there are some more community focused lawyers that are in the know with communities that use WhatsApp. And, you know, and that's a very good way to market to a very specific niche and build relationships with influencers in those communities lawyers being influencers that's the next thing i'd like to see but do you have any best practices that should be applied for uh, all yes definitely there are best practices i'd like to pick up on something that relates to the story gary just told as a way of inviting a different way of viewing this to the listeners you know um when gary describes starting his website and starting his blog he's like <laughs> You know, like almost like an excited kid tinkering around with this new toy. Wow, let's see what I can build here. You know, nobody's looking and there's no goals. There's no, there's no uh, metrics, no KPIs. There's, <laughs> there's no pressure of um, paying for Google ads or whatever. It's just fun. My first website was way back, I think in around 2000. So that, that was 
before Google, before websites were a thing. And it really just seemed like a cool project to do. Uh, a friend of mine um, was a graphic designer. Um, he had just recently connected um, with a tech guy who was learning how to write an HTML and how to build websites. And I was their guinea pig. And we said, let's build a website together. And we did. And, and you know, like, you, you think of websites from those days as being very, very bare bones and just text. But that's not what we did. Um, we actually did a real graphic design website with photos and colors and some thought to lay out. And at that, at that stage, like we honestly had no idea that a website was ever going to matter um, in a professional sense at all. It was more just something we put up. And, but even from the outset, the, the, the thought was always, let's, let's get some information out there. There were um, FAQs that people always asked in a first meeting. And just, uh, I, I think our idea was let, let's get that information online, you know, in, in, in very easy to, to digest sound bites. And it evolved from there. And it was, you know, several years later when, much to my surprise, I started getting phone calls from people who saw me on Yahoo. Um, before the Google search was a thing. And little by little, that, that built, and then, you know, maybe it's something we'll talk about a little bit later, but the emergence of Google had a huge impact, um, not just on the availability of websites, but as Sandra will probably tell you, Google started writing the rules for what, what websites needed to look like and what needed to be there and how to optimize and... It was at that point that it kind of lost me in terms of being creative fun um, because the entire profession started to build um, for Google um, as opposed to for clients. And that's something that I've always resisted, um, but the forces of gravity are really there in that direction. So just maybe plant that as a seed for future discussion um, as we move forward in the podcast today. And what he didn't tell you is, and I'll, I'll ask him to follow up on this, but he actually wrote a lot about politics and that helped to elevate his, his presence. And the reason I'm mentioning this in response to your question about best practice is because I think a lot of lawyers today, they feel frozen. You know, what am I supposed to do with my social media? What am I supposed to do in terms of creating an identity? And what they end up doing is it's just, very generic feeling? Sandra, I think her central philosophy um, is about authenticity and about presenting yourself as you are um, in a way that on the assumption that, that there's going to be at least something appealing about you, you might as well focus on that and get it out there and create a situation where the person the people will meet with as their lawyer when they actually have an appointment is consistent with the person they've seen online. So you're, you're not, you're not going to present yourself online as something different from what you are, but rather you focus on what you are. And, and that, that can be 
um, to the essence of your professional um, philosophy. Um, you know, for us, we, we I think it's really true of, of our firm that, that the human touch is a real big piece of what we do. And we deal with people who are going through some of the worst experiences of their lives on the first day they meet us, whether it's employment law or family law or injury claims or problems um, in their businesses. These are real crises that bring people to the table to come and see us. And we need to deal with them as humans first. And I think that since that is, that, that is the way I approach things, I think it's good to communicate that online in subtle ways. And Sandra, as a marketer, can tell you all kinds of ways through using everything from language to color um, that certain impressions can get created. And that, that's, that's her kind of her expertise. But for me, I, I think that the most important thing is, is be yourself. So if you've got something to say about a legal issue or a political issue, or you're happy or not happy about um, a case that was decided that's all in the news, we'll put it out there because chances are lots of people um, will read it and it will resonate. And I, I can think of quite a few occasions where people um, decided to retain me because they liked my blog. Um, and that was, you know, one of the, that was the icebreaker. Oh, I read your blog. And that's how we, we would begin a discussion. So being yourself, um, obviously, um, be be smart about that. Um, but th I, I, that's what I've learned from Sandra and her approach, probably above and beyond everything. That that get get to the real core of who you are, what you what you want to do um, professionally in terms of the kind of work you want to do, and focus on it. But how you want to do it, and focus on that as well. Did I summarize that well, Sandra? Yes, you did great. I, I I love how you brought in you brought in the fact that some people will resonate because I think that the reason a lot of lawyers will hesitate to be themselves it's actually scarier than it sounds. You know, I I get it because when you put yourself out there and your example is a good one because sharing your views on politics is very divisive. And some people are not going to agree. So it's scary when you're trying to build your practice to do something that you know some of your market will not like. So you're right away alienating that that part of it. But while you do that, you're strengthening the bond with the other part. And the strengthening of that bond, it makes you irreplaceable. Do you have any uh, potential pitfalls, Sandra, that you've seen in your career? what we should avoid when we put ourselves out there. Yes. Don't be a wallflower. Okay, that's good. It's called social media. Social, it's in the first word. Social media, okay? <laughs> so, yes, and this goes back to that feeling of being frozen. You know, you, you just, you wouldn't believe how often uh, clients ask me, could you just read over my post before I put it on LinkedIn? I just... I don't want anyone to see that I said something, you know, that wasn't smart or, you know, it just didn't position me properly. It, you know, people are very nervous about how they will be perceived. And it feels like there's a lot at stake, even from just a sort of throwaway post. 
So that puts them into this position of, okay, well, I won't do it. <laughs> I won't do it. But if you're not going to do anything, you're taking a different kind of risk. Now you're stuck with what you have and you're not going to go after your goals. And not only that, you're going to go backwards because everyone else is going forwards. You know, don't be a, don't be a wallflower. Well, what, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean throw yourself into the deep end of the pool and be uncomfortable. What it means is take the time to come up with a strategy. This is not, this is not something you either have it or you don't. This is the same as marketing planning. You could do a whole marketing plan just on LinkedIn. I really mean it, like a whole marketing plan just on how you use LinkedIn. So you spend the time, sit down and yes, sit down with a professional and figure out what is your point of difference? How does your social media strategy take what you've done on your website and take it further so that everything is consistent, but it keeps going? And it does it in a way that is relatable, that is interesting, that is, that pops from the noise, you know, and, and, and doesn't do it in a way that's forced, but actually leverages what's already there. So if, if your team is funny, you know, you have a culture that, you know, you joke around and you happen to do that a little bit with your clients, bring your sense of humor into your social media. Yeah, if you're controversial, if you're dramatic, if you say things that, you know, throw people, um, you know, sorry, take people by surprise, then use that. And, and that may not all by itself be a strategy, but it is an important ingredient. So take the time to figure out how are you going to do it, get the training that you need and get the help to get comfortable with the posts until you sort of get into a groove. I agree with what Sandra said, but I'd like to leap to the defense or a partial defense of wallflowers. <laughs> Go ahead. We, we're listening. <laughs> because even if you're not comfortable putting your personal self out there, and I think most lawyers are cautious about that um, for good reasons, um, but even if you're you're cautious about putting your personal self out there, um, you don't need to be cautious about demonstrating in the traditional conservative lawyerly way that you're competent and that you know your stuff. And you don't necessarily need to do that by writing textbook chapters. Um, you can do that um, with a one sentence tweet. You know, if, if, an important case in employment law um, has come out. Um, you're probably first going to read about it um, on Barry Fisher's blog um, or through posts by a small group of employment lawyers in the province um, that put that information out there. And they're not, they're not out there in a personal way. Um, by any means, but what they're doing is they're building network and they're building community and among their peers, um, at least to start, they're developing a reputation for expertise and also for being go-to people to find out through, through whom you can find out what happened in court yesterday. So even if you want to be cautious um, about sort of maintaining that line between your privacy and your professional work, 
there's still a way to do it. And I mean, I, I've just identified only one. But back to another thing that Sandra said, find a way that you can do it that's authentic to you. There, there is a way that will work for you. And it's probably not going to be about imitating. Um, it, it's probably going to be about coming to something that you're comfortable with and that you're going to be happy to do. You know, if, if you decide that LinkedIn is going to be your focus or Twitter or a blog are going to be your focus, then I, I think you need to develop your voice. Um, just just as you do as a lawyer, um, your, your voice will emerge over time as you gain confidence and experience. I think the same is true with online writing, that little by little, you get you get a sense of what works for you. Um, if, if you know, if, if you wind up, and it happened to me a couple of times, I guess, where I said things um, that the bad guys took offense to, and that's okay. The bad guys aren't going to be my clients, but sometimes you fight the fights, and there's value in that. But again, even with, with something like that, you need to decide how much of your time you want to devote to that. So, yeah, so I mean, you, you develop boundaries based on what you need to do at any given time. And then Sandra can tell you about all kinds of other people who are doing very well now on social media by focusing on one of their one of their quirks or one of their interests or something in their personal backgrounds um, that, that might be relevant. And they're building whole online personalities around that. You know, Sandra, tell her about the chicken lady. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I did a couple of events. Actually, I wrote a chapter in a book on LinkedIn marketing techniques. Um, the book was written by Mark Halpert, published by the ABA, and my chapter was on uh, tying LinkedIn to your marketing plan. So then Mark and I uh, conducted a couple of events on LinkedIn. We invited people, and for one of those events, a lawyer who actually has chickens she raises chickens this is her personal passion in her backyard and so she she you know she went through this um decision making process do i share about this because it's not just oh you know like someone who has a dog and i love my dog this was huge for her she raises these chickens and it is her it's a life passion she really really cares about this so she is completely transparent about it in her marketing. This is absolutely part of her identity. And we're still talking about her. She's a lovely lady. She comes across as professional. She comes across as intelligent. And you remember her. So just because she has this uh, part of her life that is not traditional doesn't make her less professional. And it's so memorable. You can't get it out of your head once you have the picture there. Well, and it tells you something about her. So if you're if you're going to, you know, be the type of client who wants somebody who is caring about the environment, who who is interested in, you know, um, you know, nurturing animals or whatever it is that that drew her to this personal passion, you're going to connect with her in a in a in a way that will be for a lifetime. That bond is deep. And, and that's the value in doing this. And I think it also adds to 
um, when we talk about access to justice. So we're trying to stay away from all this idea that the profession of being a lawyer is so serious and and so you know the it's, yeah it's so inaccessible. So I feel like if you give your a bit of your personal life out there and you you share your interest your or your passion, it makes lawyers more human as well. And maybe for clients, it might be easier also to connect with them. And as you say, Gary, uh, you you get to meet people who are sometimes traumatized, who, have, who are going through very difficult uh, stuff, and they are in difficult part of their life. And to know that they, they are before people that that just enjoy no chickens, or that they just enjoy going on a ski or ski trip or, or whatever they love politics, like you do, I think it's also helps for access to justice in general. So it's very interesting for for that part as well. Um, Oh, I so agree with you, Julia, because that's how you start a dialogue when you become approachable and then you're no longer on this high throne that's the professional. Now someone can actually talk to you. Yeah, no, definitely. I no, I totally agree. I really like that. I mean, I've never been much of a social media, but now I'm kind of uh, thinking, okay, yeah, that, that's a really, <laughs> really good idea. I should should get there. Uh, but and do you have any? I love I love those storytellings, those um, those examples. But do you have any example in mind uh, of a, a you know creative use of social media? So we've talked about blog. Uh, we know they're just CBA National Magazine, for instance. Uh, we talked about LinkedIn that we kind of know all. Uh, a bit more because LinkedIn, I think, I feel is more like the professional one. Uh, but any any like uh, social media that is maybe not a bit not there yet, but is coming like that, we should keep well, an eye on. I think Gary, I think the story of how you and your firm created Legally Adulting would be a good story here. I guess three four years ago, before COVID, the idea of wouldn't it be nice to actually be out there with the public. And actually meeting people and talking to people um, as a way of really, I think partly because it's 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 interesting and it's fun, but partly just because th there's something a little impersonal about um, simply having an online presence. So anyhow, we developed a program where the the two associate lawyers um, in my firm basically hosted events at coffee shops. It was called Legally Adulting. Um, it was targeted um, to 20 and 30-somethings who were just starting out in their careers and in their domestic lives. And really, it was a Q&A session um, or a series of Q&A sessions that uh, allowed people to come and meet uh, with our lawyers, ask their questions. There'd be a little bit of an introductory talk that, that our lawyers would do. But particularly when we did it in person, and much to my surprise, people couldn't wait to get in and ask questions. And the questions were personal. And again, we, we talked earlier about sort of maintaining the boundary of the line. For my generation, um, that line is very different than today's line for younger people who, who are much more out there. So people would come to our sessions and they would ask questions about family law or they would ask questions about things that, that related um, to their family members or their parents, life challenges that they had, and actually get some really valuable, not necessarily legal advice on the spot because that's something you can't do too publicly, but they would get a really good starting point and then after the program was over, we would always stick around and that's when people would come and talk to us. And occasionally somebody would retain us, but 
it was more a matter of getting out there and um we were we were building up a, a little bit of a neighborhood following um and neighborhood was one of our focuses we wanted to do it close to our office so that people who were going to be nearby um to our offices would also come to these things so little by little it, it really really evolved into something and when COVID happened of course that shut down in terms of the public stuff but we and we, we tried to do them online we did do three or four of them but it's very difficult to build the the same kind of interaction and personal connection through online stuff but even, even still we have tons of people sending their questions in in advance of the programs and using the chat functions um, to ask questions so it became quite interactive and I thought they were really successful programs. So oh, I just wanted to add, you know, tying this to the previous comments, that this is a social media strategy that Gary just described, you know, and getting out there, um, actually a live live event strategy. <laughs> but really, it actually becomes integral to the whole marketing plan. Because when you have something like this that your firm commits to, it creates all kinds of reasons to post, reasons to announce. So if you have a newsletter, okay, here, come to our next event. Oh, watch our little video from the last event. Oh, um, submit questions. Oh, look at these questions. Look at the summary of our questions. Now you have content for the whole year. That's true. Yeah, and you can use it in newsletter, as you say. And, and I mean, how do you manage also though to make sure that you don't send too much information you know that you don't send too much newsletters or too much emails or or if if you um if you have clients or people who follow you how do you make that balance uh between uh being annoying and being resourceful and uh, and useful you know <laughs> i see you laugh but that's always something i wonder it's a great question it's a great question yeah and it is a great question you know there there are people a couple um who are prominent lawyers um, on social media who I ultimately had to block because I felt like they were spamming. You know, there's one one lawyer in particular who was also out there about some political stuff. And that was okay. And I, I would see the tweets that this lawyer would put out there. Um, but when people commented on her tweets and then she started to retweet all the comments, and it became like an onslaught where my my entire feed on twitter was being taken up by this person's content at that point it became too much and if i feel that way as, as a, a fellow lawyer i can imagine some people in the general public will not like that but you know back to where we were earlier the people who are really into that political issue Um, and really following that, they're dying to see every retweet um, because it gives them a sense that their their beliefs um, have traction and that their way of thinking has currency out there and it reinforces that and it reinforces the bond. So I'm not sure there are any mistakes. I, I, I think that, that if, if you do it well, Um, there's, there are going to be people who are going to be attracted to what you're, to what you're saying um, and perhaps some who aren't or how you're saying it. But, you know, everybody's got to have their own balance. I would have like a last question for you about because we talk about the Internet. Uh, we talk about having those maybe a, 
hybrid kind of uh, social media where you put, uh, you say there's an event and then you go directly in coffee shops and you talk with the public. And could you, do you think we're going there? Could you imagine a completely social media, internet-based law firm uh, that could ever become a thing? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think we're almost there. Um, the, you know, I, I'm probably not alone um, in the profession in wondering what the actual function of an office, a physical office space, is going to be um, another two or three or five years from now. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can think of a lot of really good reasons related to building your team um, to have an office space. But I can't imagine being a client wanting to fight traffic um, to come and spend money to park at a lawyer's office to wait in a waiting room for the lawyer to be ready um, for the meeting to then sit down and talk for a half an hour or 45 minutes and then fight traffic all the way home again um, when you can do it all from the comfort and the security of your own living room or your own office save all that time so really the question of what the function of a physical office space is going to be is one of those things that's evolving in real time right now and during covid we were all operating that way you know my, my office was was effectively closed for almost two years um, we had to very rapidly adapt technology wise to get all of our information and our communications up into the cloud. Zoom arrived in a big way to fill the void um, in terms of being able to connect that way. Our phone systems um, all became virtual so that we didn't actually need to be anywhere. We can get our calls forwarded to our cell lines. So aside from the, the, the sheer um, comfort of being in the office and sitting on a chair and putting my feet up on the desk, I'm not sure how much more I can do there than I can do here, except those water cooler talks are so invaluable. And when we're in the office and there's a small question that comes up about an issue and somebody can walk over to someone else's office and say, hey, what do you think? In five minutes, you have an answer to something that might have taken a week by email to go back and forth on. So if we can find a way to replicate that really critical social cultural component of working together as a team virtually, it's, it's going to happen. Um, and maybe the office is going to evolve into something totally different. And Sandra, do you want to add anything to that? Well, you know, my philosophy has always been choose one thing and do it really, really well. So actually today there's an astonishing number of ways to market your firm. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming for lawyers to think about which one should they do, how many should they do. And then when they start looking at their com competition, you know, and they start feeling like, oh, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And, <laughs> and then the stress just goes up and up and up. <laughs> but you don't get further by doing more uh, different things. You get further by doing one thing really, really well. So, and you know, the thing that you're going to be doing really, really well, it's best to tie that to the talents and interests that you have and that your team has. 
So for example, if, you know, the people at your office, they are reluctant to get in front of the camera. They don't really want to be speaking in front of an audience or doing videos. Maybe they're good writers. So maybe train them to do really, you know, expressive blogging, do blogging better and, and get known for that. Learn how to write really good headlines. Learn how to post them on, on social media and ask questions so that people will get conversations going. You know, on, on the other hand, if your team is a little bit uh, more playful and they are good on camera, well, then don't ask them to write. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just get that TikTok going or do something that works with what you have. But keep going and keep practicing it. And don't give up when it doesn't work right at the beginning. Just keep massaging it till you get it to work. Sandra, I must say you are very inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> I need to tell you that. Gary, sorry I cut you, but I really had to tell you because since the beginning when you talk, I mean, I feel like we're talking about marketing, but it's also about self-growth or something. I mean, it's really nice. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is. I'm so glad you said that, Julia. That actually is my whole point. You know, when, when, when lawyers say they don't really want to be bothered with the marketing piece, they're losing sight of the fact that marketing can give them what they want. And, and what I would suggest to anybody who's still hesitating about that, just make some notes about what you want your firm to really look like in the next few years. How do you want your firm to change? How do you want your own job to change? And what does that look like? And then start thinking about the gaps between that dream world and today. And how are you going to overcome those gaps? Well, marketing is one of your tools. Is it about putting your associates in the spotlight? Well, LinkedIn can do that for you. Figure out a way to do it. And, and whatever it is, use marketing as a tool. It's there to serve you. Gary, did you want to add something? Well, first of all, I agree with you that Sandra really is inspiring. And I, I think the most important piece of advice I have is don't stop just because you're succeeding. And th this is what I've seen over and over again, that people for, you know, the first five or 10 years are out there and suddenly they get so busy that they just don't have the time for it. And before you know it, the next generation of practitioners is out there um, and getting much deserved limelight. But this is not... Um, a one-time project. It's a commitment to communicating um, with the public on an ongoing basis using social media or whatever comes next as your vehicle for doing so. And you need to stick to it. And as I said earlier, you keep you have to keep rebuilding whatever it is you're doing and refreshing it. And that's where it's really handy to have someone like Sandra nearby. Because the coaching that I've, I've been able to get from her through conversations, just like the one we're having right now, has been really invaluable. Yeah, I agree that it has been it has been a really enlightening conversation. Thank you very much for talking to us today, Sandra Becker and Gary Wise. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and hit subscribe for more great CBA podcasts. Also, just like Sandra, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at podcasts at cba.org. So thank you very much and have a good one. Thanks, Julia. It was great. Yes, thank you very much. This was fun.